0: Voices of the Temple, official podcast of the Temple of Witchcraft, exploring mystery and magic through love, will, and wisdom, hosted by Adam Sartwell. Hi listeners, it's me, Adam. Um, I'm just going to get us right into our sacred space because I have the two founders with me other than me, myself and I. And um, we'll just get right into being in sacred space so that we can start our interview. I call to the great spirit. I call to the two who move as one. Through the three rays of love, will, and wisdom, I call upon the goddess, maiden, mother, and crone, past, present, and future creator, sustainer, and destroyer, weaver of the web. We call to the God, Lord of light and Lord of darkness, God of the green and the gold, God of the horn and the red, singer of the song. Be with us now and forever, so mode it be.
1: So, so mote it, mout it be. be.
0: All right. Well, I'm here with Christopher Penzac. Hello. And Steve Kenson. Hi, everybody. And myself, Adam Sartwell. And uh, we thought we should have a... (laughs) a three of us, the three founders podcast. And um, the thing that spurred me to do this was um, my two favorite Taurus and Geminis uh, are right here. Or my one, I guess I should say. So, um... I thought that that would take up Taurus and Gemini and I will find someone else to do Cancer Podcast when I finally get around to it. Um, We've had some personal upheavals in the past couple of months that have um, put me behind, personally. Um, I know the boys can speak to that as well. Um, That we've had to catch up. So, This is our catch-up podcast, (laughs) and um, I promised myself that I would never apologize for podcasts that weren't weren't done because I think hearing that from a podcaster is, you know, sort of an admission that you know they don't have lives and they don't have you know they are not paid for this. So um, we'll just move right on into our questions. Unless uh, the guys have anything they want to say, fire away. All right. Let's go. So, the Temple of Witchcraft has been together um, about a year and a half
1: or more. More, right? Eh? Well, from our first meeting to organize it, probably, we're looking for probably two and a half years at Just this point, about, but yeah. to be legally organized and then our 501c3, probably a year and a half.
0: Yeah. Um, so, what do you feel are your successes? From this past year and a half,
1: I think getting the temple off the ground as a whole has been a tremendous success. Um, I think we've done a lot in a very short period of time in terms of organizing people and um, organizing community. So I'm, I'm just very excited as a success for the whole thing. I think 501c3 e status was a huge success and a, a great battle, and just the paperwork alone for those who've never tried to do it, you know, was is a huge tremendous. undertaking. And amazing help from all sorts of people, legal and otherwise, to get that done, that that was a huge success, I think, for us. That was really a milestone to know that, hmm, we've done this well enough that the federal government can recognize it. And just the back and forth with the federal government was uh, intense. <laughs> you know, it's hard to, uh, although they recognize witchcraft as a religion, it's hard to, sometimes when you have the name, in fact, you know, many a times uh, on this road, people have advised me, you know, I probably wouldn't have called it the Temple of Witchcraft. And there was a point where I was kind of agreeing with that. But I, I feel like... So many other religious organizations have a clearly religious title to their name. If there can be a a church of the resurrection of Christ, why can't there be a temple of witchcraft? So um, although other pagan organizations have done really well without having the word witchcraft in it, it was really important for me to have that. And I'm sure there'll be other hurdles, as we found, with renting space, which is another Mm -hmm. great milestone. We actually have an office space that we're renting in an effort to build up credit history. So when we want to buy someplace, that we can do that and, and show that we can pay a mortgage. So I think those have been some, some huge accomplishments on the terrestrial level. Mm-hmm.
2: I think the other really noteworthy accomplishment is the, the growth and sustainment of the, the temple community. We've done uh, more than a full Wheel of the Year of Sabbaths and um, have added to that with just numerous other uh, rituals and gatherings and meetings We just had our second um, Temple Fest gathering, which was an outdoor, this year, weekend-long festival. And just a tremendous, supportive, wonderful, loving community of people have come Mm -hmm. together, both at the in-person rituals and events and classes, and also through our um, online communications networks, uh, supporting us uh, on uh, Facebook um, by attending classes through email, and even listening to this podcast right now, uh, it has really established a a web, a network of people who are connected to the temple uh, in numerous different ways, uh, and it's it's very gratifying to to know there are so many people who are so involved.
1: Mm-hmm. A little shout-out to our Denver contingent. I think another huge thing for us is uh, having our little satellite down in Denver, Colorado, and, and we actually have uh, two ordained ministers down there that are leading public rituals and doing classes, and I think that's a huge accomplishment for the first year. So Absolutely. I'm very excited about that. So thanks, guys.
0: I am um, speaking to this for myself. I think that one of our great successes so far has been the diversity of things we can do um we have just going around the wheel we have um military outreach we have uh Taurus is doing a class on ecology uh Gemini is keeping us all communicating uh Cancer is feeding people and uh at Sabbaths and taking in donations for food um and a whole bunch of other things, because they've got an army of girls. (laughs) (laughs) Of women. Women. (laughs) With a Y. Um, uh, Then, you know, we've got... Next, I'm testing myself. We've got Leo making T-shirts, putting out cups for the temple store, and lots of other things. Providing us with all
2: sorts of artwork, artwork and posters. Artwork
0: and posters. And we've got Virgo, you know... Doing Virgo things, creating (laughs) incenses, doing the temple store, and doing healing case study group and healing healing list and healing rituals. Um, We've got Libra that's doing all of our archiving um, and mediation. That's been a and mediation. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, very important. Um, We have uh, Scorpio that's working on death and dying work. They're working on having. or putting together a sexuality class um on se- how to make that sacred uh we've got Sagittarius well that's Christopher um <laughs> teaching us all about you know how to do our temple
1: stuff yeah. uh, and starting up a uh, you know ministerial edu- ministerial education series next year mm-hmm. yeah. we've
0: got Capricorn doing um pr- prison ministry work we've got um Aquarius. Throwing, amazing, won, festivals. throwing amazing festivals. Throwing amazing festivals.
1: Yeah, pretty they, much running all our events. <laughs> yeah, pretty much
0: running all our events. They um, put together the Beltane Psychic Fair, um, which um, may in the future move to Samhain. Um But <laughs> you heard it here first, first. You heard it here first. Um, and we have Pisces who's running our rituals for us and doing um, amazing work with the full moon circles. And uh, we just have like an amazing circle of community that takes on so many diverse things and they're all doing their true will, which I think is amazing.
2: Well, and I really love the fact that the vision of creating the temple as a structure in which people could pursue their own passion and their own true will has really um, proven so effective and has really proven to be a great environment in which people can just go after what it is they feel passionate about and feel like they're going to be supported uh, in that effort.
0: Mm. Yeah.
2: So moving on to from
0: where our successes are, where do we need work?
1: Mm. I, I think kind of the flip side of what Steve just said about having such diverse passions and, and letting people kind of pursue them i think the hardest thing has been educating people in the model of how we envision the temple mm-hmm. it's not a typical school it's not a typical coven structure it's not a typical community you know there is a, a body of teaching so that's different from more eclectic communities where you know anything kind of goes and it, it's it's not consistent but at the same time like dealing with people who really want to be a part of it and, and people who are excited to be volunteers but are like, tell me what to do. Because mm-hmm. it's so personal, will-driven. You know, it's where in the structure do you want to do something? How can we possibly support you? Where are you in your education that it would be appropriate to take a lead or maybe not take a lead, take a supportive role You know, in our structure? I think a lot of people... And just really kind of educating the idea, unlike other volunteer organizations where it's just like here, do this mindless work and and that will help out as a volunteer. Mm-hmm. Well, of course, we have those things at temple fest and and you know jobs that have to be done that aren't exciting, but mm-hmm. for the most part, the major projects are really led by the people who have a vision mm-hmm. and educating mm-hmm. people into that that yeah. model I think yeah. is important
2: it's interesting, actually. It just occurred to me that you could look at the temple's structure especially as we often model it as a, as a web uh, or a structure of concentric rings that in many regards what some people would see as the, the temple hierarchy is really um, more gatekeepers or initiators in a way um, and that it's really for the, the initiate, the priest or the priestess, the person who is pursuing their true will to come to these initiators and challenge us in some ways and say, I demand passage to the inner temple because I am going to do this work. Um, And for us to say, for us to test them in the way that initiators do, but then also to provide them with the mysteries, the keys, the secrets... That are going to help them to do their work. So just like the the goddess descended into the underworld seeking wisdom, she had to pass gates that tested her humility and tested her forbearance. But it was really about her will to see that through. And it wasn't about her asking, Well, what do you want of me? What what should I do? She had a clear mission in that regard. Right. And so I think that that a lot of people who are used to more top-down organizations where they're, they're used to being dictated to by the people in charge um, sometimes find that structure puzzling because they're waiting for that dicta- dictate to come down to them. They're waiting for that, that mandate to be handed to them when, in fact, we want them to take up and seize whatever mandate they feel called to and tell us what it is and how we can help them make it happen. Mm.
0: and all those things are are acts of service absolutely absolutely
1: um i mean we we help people do projects and we seek out to support and be supported in projects of service to the witchcraft and pagan communities it's you know both educating people that it's not a dictate outward but also we can't do everything for everybody You know, Mm -hmm. it's the idea we have a clear, very broad mission, but we have clear kind of 12 sections, 12 ministries of of what we do. And if what you want to do as a part of your ministry fits in that, there's a lot of great graduates we've had over the years from the the temple training programs that, you know, their mission took them in other places and not necessarily in that structure. And that's great, too. Mm -hmm. You know, where some, you know, found this wasn't for them and and wandered to someplace else. And that's great, too, because it's everybody's going to find where they need to be if we're just to stop on the journey to healing. Uh, I think that's served a purpose for us, and we've fulfilled a mission. But for those who want to serve in ministerial capacity, they've got to have that vision, mm-hmm. and it has to fit the kind of parameters of what we do.
2: Yeah. yeah, agreed.
0: Well, we have that sort of Aquarian ideal of that each person has to reach up and grab, you know, that part of them that spirit and bring it back down, and then we all share the initiations by every person in the circle has a different view has a different purpose has um a different goal and bringing those together into the little puzzle pieces to come together into a whole you know beautiful temple is very special and very powerful very Mm -hmm. powerful and it's not top down where one puzzle piece is telling all the other puzzle pieces what to do right Hmm. Which is kind of an
2: interesting mm-hmm. image. Yeah. Well, but getting back to the topic of our challenges, that is also a challenge because mm-hmm. it really is an area where we need to come up with new understandings of structure and of communication and how we interrelate with each other, and that's, that's been part of our work. Mm -hmm. Um, for this the past two years ever since we began communicating the idea of the temple of being able to be clear with our ideas and Mm -hmm. where we are and clearly communicate with each other
1: yeah Mm -hmm. communication is definitely a, a challenge and a key to this all i mean i know over the last year and a half i've been challenged a lot in communication styles and making sure that my ideas get along and um, what I'm saying is really what's being heard, and what somebody else is saying is what I'm really hearing. Because, you know, community's tough, community, you know, is messy. And uh, mm-hmm. trying to get that across is, is an important thing. It's been interesting watching other communities because I get to travel a lot and see their systems and see what might work and what might not work. And um, also dealing with personal individual styles. We've got 12 lead ministers who all have different communication styles. We all have Mercury in a different place in our astrology chart, and we're all trying to figure out, you know, What does that mean? And and Mm -hmm. is there a way that I can communicate this that would be better for someone else? Is there a way that I can adapt in this situation to get my point across so there's no hurt feelings? Mm -hmm. And sometimes there's not, you know, but try to do that as as best as possible, but to be as clear in your truth. You know, one of our our four tools, the sword of truth, sometimes it it cleaves away and sometimes it cuts, you know, but trying to do it in the most appropriate way.
0: Yeah. I've also found... um, People have come to me and felt uh, unwelcomed in some of our circle gatherings or have said this to me or to other people around me and I don't really know sometimes what we could do to create a better or foster a better feeling of community. And I think that's my challenge, and I think that's a challenge for a lot of people. I also think that it's a challenge for the person who's coming into that space. Um, And if you do feel that kind of challenge, look for those people with the amber and jet. They might be busy, um, so you want to look for one that's not busy, maybe hanging out, talking with someone, and come up to them, talk to them. If you have questions, ask them. They've gone through five years of study, and with us and they're you know
1: yeah for those not familiar listening that you know the amber and jet are necklaces that uh, orange and black necklaces that signify someone who's graduated from the seminary who's a high priestess or high priest in the tradition and other witchcraft traditions use amber and jet solely for just the high priestesses but we use it and usually designed almost like a collar to kind of show a service to the gods and goddesses so if you see somebody with that there's somebody that's been involved in the temple and Mm-hmm. You know, hopefully, it can help out. It's tough with groups like that. I, I've been leading public circles, you know, gods for how long? Since nineteen ninety. 1990 three, mm-hmm. ninety-four and professionally since nineteen ninety-eight. And it's interesting when a lot of it as an author and speaker was so focused on me, we never really got that complaint. Mm. But it's because everybody I think felt like they were having this personal connection with me and that's something I've tried to avoid in the temple. I wanna create kind of a body where it's not about me, that's not about my personality. It can be mm-hmm. about the teachings I've helped create, but Also, have other people add to those teachings and Mm -hmm. add leadership to it. So, sadly, I think when you start getting groups of people, there's, you know, those feelings can come up and we just have to kind of work through them and Mm -hmm. try to do better, but also try to, you know, allow that some of that happens and and some people are going to feel that way. And Mm -hmm. there's not always something you can do to make everyone feel all the time 100% welcome.
2: That's true. And I think that there's also a tendency to associate, especially a spiritual community, with the idea of, of ease and comfort. And while I think that our community has been of a source of comfort for a great many people and has been a place where a lot of people feel very at home, it's also the realization that communities are built out of relationships and that relationships take work and they take mm-hmm. effort. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and not always easy. And that they're not always easy. <laughs> and that, um, that it often takes somebody to come up and say, hi, I'm new here, or, um, you know, I don't believe we've met. My name is. Mm -hmm. And, you know, sometimes it just takes that initial step, which can be difficult for some people, uh, especially if they're in a strange new social setting, uh, to really break the ice and, and initiate that next stage of Mm -hmm. their relationship with the
1: community. But to use that that tension or, you know, whatever they may be feeling to help them break the ice. Like Mm -hmm. what did our friend Maxine Sanders say? If you don't like tension, don't come to one of my circles. A good magician knows how to use tension. Mm -hmm. You know, it is a magical order, although it's a welcoming community. You know, we are about the evolution and if there's something that's uncomfortable, kinda looking at what's uncomfortable and and can I take the most appropriate step forward? If I'm feeling like I want to connect with people, how can I engage my will to connect with people? Mm -hmm. I can go Mm -hmm. say hi.
2: Right. You know? Absolutely, but
1: also for all of us who are, are there and, and veterans of the circles to be open to that and to mm-hmm. really make an effort to go out and say hi too is, is an important part yep. so I'm trying to be better about that I'm usually exhausted by the end of the circles and you know, just <laughs> want my food and to sit down someplace and not talk but um, I'm trying to be better about you know, reaching out to people and trying to look at, at both familiar faces that I don't see too often and you know, faces that seem new and, and go over and say hi absolutely so
0: now that we've sort of covered where we've been let's move forward uh where are we going from here what are our goals christopher
1: you want to start off with that (laughs) (laughs) well i think our ultimate goal uh well not ultimate goal but our our next major goal or i think our ultimate goal is the evolution of our craft and community and um, magical consciousness but I think in terms of tangible goals, you know, one of the things that we all and the board and the, the council are really focusing on is physical space for our community. Um, we've rented an office recently to give us a, a space in Salem, New Hampshire, that's a good place for smaller meetings and moon circles and mm-hmm. actually just a place for all the stuff we've accumulated and for the people who do some office work and paperwork to have a place to do it because we're all kind of scattered and doing it in our own homes and our own offices and, you know, whatever we can between our day jobs, but also um, kind of creating a little nexus, you know, of that energy of concentration and then to be able to build that and actually build a decent credit rating to show we can handle money so we can get a mortgage on a place and have a community center and have land and have a space that's larger where people can gather. That's, that's really ours. So for me, that's, that's one of the major goals. And, you know, a lot of my work, In the temple and outside of the temple to kind of generate the funds and the income and the donations and the classes um, to be able to sustain that and to move us forward towards those goals. You know, unlike a lot of the big religious organizations, we don't have massive donations and endowments from from people. So we really are kind of service based and we want to provide things for people and we have to pay rent on such and and get compensated for it, but to be able to do it in such a way that we can, you know, build for the future.
2: Mm -hmm. And beyond just the physical growth of the, the temple and the, the creation of more space is really both the broadening and deepening of the, the temple's spiritual connections and really both diversifying the the communities that we serve and the the mysteries that we touch upon and also really digging delving deeper into those mysteries um, that we have experienced. So we're working on both um, allowing our diverse ministries to explore the mysteries that are unique to their own areas, like the Scorpio Ministries' um, plans to do more with the um, mysteries of sacred sexuality, or the Gemini Ministries' um, efforts to do more with uh, what we're calling the, the queer mysteries um, that involve um, sexual minorities, uh, gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgendered, intersexed, etc. Questioning, questioning, um, curious, what have you. Um, but also um, the the efforts um, that our our Pisces and Sagittarius ministries are engaging in to take the high priests and high priestesses of our temple deeper, and to let them continue the work that they've begun in their own studies and, uh, not forget to continue to to, to, to delve deeper as part of their process and not make everything focused so much on their service to the temple that they forget their service to themselves and their service to their path.
1: Absolutely. I, I think a lot of people, when they get into the ministry, start thinking, so much about the service in the exoteric world and even the service to the esoteric world and the spirits but they forget personal practice and you know a lot of the ordained ministers that are really active that have graduated from the seminary are just like oh i'm so busy with everything providing structure for other people you know it's easy to let your own personal practice sway and and i've been there too and i think it's really important to keep a personal practice and Part of our effort for that is Pisces and Sagittarius are doing joint dark moon meetings. Next year we're starting out with just four of them, but they're going to be ministerial meetings. You have to be a graduate of the seminary school. It's going to be very specific to the mythos of the temple of witchcraft and it's about advanced topics to go deeper and it won't necessarily be a course that's here's your homework and you have to pass it in and if you've passed then you, know, you can move on to the next one it's really going to be kind of giving nuggets and planting seeds and letting people take what might work from them for that experience to go deeper and realizing that each minister is going to have their own area of expertise mm. and what they're interested in you know even if there's not an expertise they're going to of delve into topics that might not be in the curriculum and hopefully what will happen is they'll be experts at it and they'll be able to come back and teach those things Mm -hmm. to the larger body.
2: Talking about seeds, it also reminds me how great it's been to see elements of the temple really starting to flower where we have um, priests and priestesses now who are themselves getting out into the community and uh, beginning to teach their own classes Um, at events like our education series uh, that spotlights a variety of different teachers or doing small workshops at our festivals like Temple Fest um, or before some of our various sabbats uh, and who are just really starting to stretch their their capabilities and share the tremendous amount of experience that they have uh, with the, the community as a whole.
1: And, you know, our official teachers for the Mystery School. Are, you know, expanding. Those, those are expanding. so expanding. Yeah, that's an amazing Alexandria and Karen out in the New Hampshire and Massachusetts area, and um, Emily working down in Colorado. And I'm sure there's a few more that's going to be happening soon.
0: Well, that's good. I think that uh, my vision is one that we get land, you know, to have that central focus. But I also think that there should be little nexuses all over the American, you know, United States, and maybe even farther out. So Let's that, think
1: big, and you know, yeah. all across Europe and yeah, Australia, and the world, and, yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: But you know, I also want to uh, know that you know things have to grow at their own space and at their own time, and people really have to find that will within them to you know start their own little nexus where they live of mm-hmm. you know Sabbath rituals or
2: mm-hmm. whatever. Well, that's that's the thing that you hear so often is. A lot of people who don't have, for various reasons, the the ability to attend our events locally, um, usually because they live too far away, will often say, "Oh, I wish I lived closer, or I wish I had something like this in my community." And it's really what what we've learned from the process of the temple is that you have to create what you want in the world. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Just like Gandhi said, be the change you want to see in the world. you want to see, absolutely. Yeah, it's so true, so true. You know, I mean, all of this started is because there was a need and, you know, a few of us took it up to start that first Witchcraft 1 class and, you know, then there was a need for a ritual and, you know, I started doing rituals and other people started helping me out with it and then there was a need to take the people who are you know taking the classes and feeling this form and this bond to create community so there was a need for a temple yeah there's mm-hmm. a need for the temple so you 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 know you go by both will and need and if you there you feel like there's something lacking then probably somebody else feels like there's something lacking too so you know endeavor to create that hmm. so
0: um to get to some of the questions that we've gotten um some of the people have asked me about the liturgy of our rituals um where that comes from um in particular they asked about the animals at our quarters uh where did they come from and uh, why were they chosen
1: um the liturgy the main liturgy that we use at wheel of the year sabbats and a lot of the moon sabbats is really an amalgam um, of all the things we learn in the five levels of training so it kind of starts out in level one, you learn about meditative state and ritual consciousness. So we always try to do something, whether it be a countdown or a breathing exercise or what have you to kind of get into an altered state, an alpha state of consciousness for ritual. So I really think that's a key. I find that a lot of the rituals where people just kind of jump into it and there's no preparation of consciousness, not a whole lot happens for me, or at least if it does, I'm not really aware of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the the traditional circle structure, that we learn in witchcraft too is pretty familiar to most people of modern witchcraft and Wicca. Casting the circle three times, um, calling in the four directions, kind of creating that sacred space, the great rite as a union of the blade and the chalice and truth and love coming together. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the liturgy we have a little bit differently. Like We tend to start in the north And honestly, that came from, I'd like to say it was grand genius on my part, but um, it was really the way I learned it. You know, coming from the Cabot tradition, that's where Laurie starts in the north. And the more I explored and researched, the more I found that, you know, northern traditions tend to be more magnetic, tend to be more earth-reverent. We're not starting with the the start of the sun or the springtime in the east or the the air, really starting and ending with earth. So when we call the quarters and cast the circle, we do it from north starting out clockwise, and then we release from north counterclockwise. The elements are a little bit different, too. Um, We have three orientations for the elements, one for the middle world, one for the lower world, and one for the upper world. And the one I tend to favor when I'm leading ritual, if it's appropriate, is the underworld orientation. That's the one most people see us do, Uh, and that has fire in the east opposing water. And earth in the north and air in the south. So they're opposing as well. The primary elements and the secondary elements are opposing Mm -hmm. each other. And it kind of creates that alchemical mandala of Mm -hmm. um, the old traditions of turning fire into... To Earth, where the ashes, and then the, you yeah, add moisture to the ashes, and that creates water and solutions. Mm-hmm. It was an old alchemical process, and I think it's actually more tension-filled in
2: some ways. Well, I was going I to it's say a good result. That's a lot like what you were talking about earlier about the idea of there being dynamic tension in the circle mm-hmm. that you know an experienced witch knows how to take hold of and use as as energy to drive things.
1: Yep. perhaps, perhaps that's why some people don't feel comfortable, but. Mm. Um, that's part of the, the essence of it, but the traditional circle that many people find with air in the East and fire in the South, that's our middle world orientation. And then we do a stellar orientation, which isn't too often in the public circles. It's more for some of the private classes and the, the mystery school and seminary, uh, actually puts air in the North and earth in the East. And and you find that in some other British traditions too. So it's, it's mm. a little bit different, um, then we also call the above, the below, between, and that really relates to the third degree and the shamanic aspects of the underworld, um, the upper world, and the middle world. So we call them the great above, the great below, and the great between, and we relate them to different entities. So there's the sky spirits, the star spirits, the angelic spirits above. There's the deep ones of the underworld, and particularly what we think of as the fae. The fe- um, but not just the most people when they say fae, they think of the fairies as nature spirits of the middle world. But we're really talking not just about plants and nature, but we're talking about, you know, the elder races that guided witches from times times before. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in the middle world, we call upon the creatures of flesh and blood, which include our ancestors and include our mighty dead. So that's a part of our our kind of theology, the uh, the masters of the witch, the witches tradition, the hidden company, the mighty dead. Um, and then we call upon the three rays, you know, and that's become a part of a vision that I had. And I wrote about that in the book, the three rays of witchcraft. And that mm-hmm. all kind of came about right as we were, um, kind of creating the temple and it mm-hmm. kind of gave us some unique theology. And we started working it into the, the rituals and working into our practices and literally working into the structure of the temple and the leadership of the temple. Mm-hmm.
2: I think it's also noteworthy that, although we have a lot of and are building more established liturgy as as we repeat certain ritual practices and we make use of certain ritual forms, that our liturgy is also not really fixed in the way that many traditions might be used to, um, and that there's a lot of room for uh, individual improvisation and... Um, additions to to the structure of our rituals
1: and personal artistry absolutely the way for a sabbath ritual i cast circles very different from the way alex cast a circle Mm -hmm. you know and very different from the way you guys cast circles but we all cast a circle Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
2: absolutely there's been plenty Mm -hmm. of elements of our circles that i would i would tend to call inspired where um i've heard people say oh that was beautiful what you said in circle what was that and oftentimes for me and a number of other people, the answer has been, I have no idea. I don't even have any conscious memory of what it is I said. Uh-huh. Uh, just spirit moved me, and that's what came out at that moment, at that place in time. And I think that it's important to be in touch with that and, and to sometimes let spirit speak in the circle and whatever it needs to say.
1: And sometimes there's those beautiful mistakes, you know, when you go <laughs> off the plan, off the script, and yep. um, somebody has to adapt and improvise, and sometimes that turns out to be far better than what you planned, mm-hmm. you know, so you're just going of go with it. I, I'm, you know, often a victim and a cause of that, those beautiful mistakes, because sometimes I forget what we have actually planned in the paper and just kind of go with things, or, you know, when someone does miss something up, everybody looks to me and be like, okay, Christopher, what's next? So, mm-hmm. it's been and,
2: fun. And Christopher always just gives, shoots back that look like, just go with it. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, So, um,
0: each of us, the founders, um, works with one of the three rays and tries to embody it, uh, during our rituals. Um, recently we swapped, um, away from our usual natural ray that we associate ourselves with to more challenging rays. Uh, what have been your experiences? How has this affected your life?
2: Well, I think that we decided that uh, we would each work with—I don't know if it was necessarily our natural, but perhaps our more comfortable rays. Hmm. The, you know, when we initially began, and that we would each work with them for the course of a, a full wheel of the year, uh, and that then, you know, with the idea of balance in mind, we would we would shift. Um, so that we could progress through through all three uh, of the rays and work with all of those energies in different ways,
0: mm-hmm.
2: and I started out working with uh, the the yellow ray uh, that's that's associated with the the what we call the, the witch's path or the sorcerer's path and is very strongly connected with balance. Uh, which which tends to suit my temperament because I'm I'm very much uh, well on the one hand and then on the other hand uh, there's two sides to every argument and I'm on both of them um, <laughs> type of approach um, as well as as my own personal connection to the, the the ancestors and the mighty dead who are the who are the spirits that I I feel most strongly connected to and um, when we when we transitioned. Um, after a full, uh, Wheel of the Year, I began working with, the the Red Ray, which is the Ray of Will and is very directed and very forceful, uh, and very purposeful, uh, and is associated with, uh, the angelic, uh, races, um, which are likewise very, very purposeful and, and really are just made entirely of their purpose, uh, in the world. And I found that, uh, that has been challenging for me, um, in that uh, it's really uh, required me to um, be more conscious of trying to speak my truth mm. and um, of, of really having to be a force in the world uh, in a different way um, and uh, not be quite so much a mediating force, um, but more uh, of a motivating force uh, in some regards. That's a great way to put it. Um, and uh, so that's, that has definitely been uh, a challenge and i i 've found that uh, it it has definitely stirred up uh, in me uh, a greater sense of 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 motivation um, that is is sort of looking for direction um, and I think that you know bringing myself i hope bringing myself into alignment with that will help me to to begin uh, finding that direction, to begin moving along that path.
1: Uh, for me, well, I kind of argue with the general premise of the question, because I don't know if I, I was on the red ray for the first, and I I think out of the three of us, perhaps I have the most forceful personality (laughs) in some ways, um, or most taskmaster sort of personality and and goal oriented. Um, but I actually really identify on a personal spiritual level more with the yellow ray, with the third ray and the the witch's path. Um, but I think for the impetus, the temple, I had to be that, that initiating ray and that, you know getting things done because a lot of the paperwork and the legal stuff really kind of fell to me, um, which was fine. And I I enjoyed that type of stuff, even though it was really hard. I switched at the Equinox at the, uh, Astara to the Blu-ray and that's more of the fairy path, um, and deals with the idea of unconditional love. And it's been a very emotional year for me for a lot of reasons. Um, but actually I found it some ways easier, Um, and easier on myself than the Red Ray. I think for the Red Ray, I felt a lot of that sacred warrior, sacred king, gatekeeper to the difficulties and crazies that we deal with. And as soon as we made the shift, I felt like all that fell at Steve. (laughs) And I was able to (laughs) let go a lot of that, and I've become a lot more supportive in a general way. I have been a little less motivated, which is kind of funny. It's been, although I've had a lot of uh, personal issues come up and, and crises come up that were kind of beyond my control and, and kind of being gentle with myself on an emotional level. Um, I do find I get less things done during the day. So maybe that's a little lack of the red, red will energy. Um, but in my personal spiritual practice, it's actually triggered a lot of fairy entity contact, which is funny because all with the red ray, I was really putting together, um, an angelic magic class based on some of my experiences in the red ray. And I'm still doing that, but that seems to stop short now and the fairies really want my attention Um, and working with what I perceive as a fairy king and that fairy king doing a lot of healing work with me um, and particularly out in nature my own personal practice has become more sporadic it used to be a lot more disciplined and it's not so much that I'm not doing a personal practice but I find myself just kind of wandering in nature and going to a park that's not too far from us and then just being like okay I have to meditate now here um, and kind of going with that so it's not been the typical regimented you know every night before bed meditating it's been catch it regularly but catch it when i can wherever i am and out by the back uh, The blu-ray deals a lot with nature as well so i've been doing a lot more plant magic not that i haven't always done plant magic but uh, mandrakes have come to me this year which is mm-hmm. really interesting traditional european mandrakes mm-hmm. and a uh,
2: long time plant magic goal of yours yes mm-hmm. yes
1: so that's been pretty pretty amazing and they've been really great teachers as well although i guess i put them to the blu-ray for for this sake i think the three rays branch out to other rays so we might call plant magic green ray magic but i think its root is in the fairy realm and the the intelligences of nature so that's that's been my practice of the blu-ray so i've really been enjoying the blu-ray overall and uh, i look forward to the yellow ray as well but this has been funnier so far in terms of of blu-ray magic
2: Mm -hmm. adam
1: um
0: well i started out with the blu-ray which um i wouldn't always associate with me. Uh, I do associate myself with the fae only because I have that sort of fae personality and I suspect that, you know, some of my family have fairy blessings (laughs) as as I'll put it. Um, You know, my brother can lie to about anyone and make them believe it. So, (laughs) whereas um, I just feel like uh, blue was more my thing. I didn't I I guess I would feel the sporadicness of practice while I was in the Blu-ray. One of my challenges there was um, compassion, and um, I really associated with the Blu-ray was that unconditional love and how you can take that unconditional love and still interact with a person Um, and taking that sort of Higher divine love that you love that person as a spirit, but if they 're harming you, you need to stop them
2: yeah. and that unconditional love doesn 't make you an unconditional doormat
0: yes, no. and I you know learned a bit more about um, some of the darker gods and goddesses that had to do with dark compassion for the people who were creating injustice or creating problems where there was where it was needless. Um, and still loving them, but stopping them short, mm-hmm. um, I felt like um, the blue ray also opened me up to a lot of more emotional stuff um, but now that i 've shifted into the yellow ray, um, i found i <laughs> it 's going to sound funny, but I found my counselor hat and you know put it on and was able to be a mediating force um, and I found that a lot of people have seen that there is wisdom in me. And that I, you know, I'm sometimes surprised by. But um, they find that wisdom coming out. And I also found I have a feeling of moving in between that sort of red and blue and and bringing those things together into a con- cohesive synthesis of what a witch is. Um, I've also had some really great experiences with some of the mighty dead, um, with my own ancestors, um, talking to me and, you know, making themselves known, um, which is a part of that yellow ray, which is, you know, that wisdom of the past and bringing that and synthesizing it into the, into our future, um on a personal level, I don't think it's changed me too much. My practice has always been a little, um, reaction and inspiration based. So <laughs> I, though I do try disciplines every once in a while, and then I go right back to, you know, Oh, I feel like I should do this. And I do. So, <laughs> but being intuitive, you kind of have to go with that. So onto, uh, another question uh what's our personal practice right now we've sort of gotten into that a little bit um for me i've been trying to keep up with um doing the witchcraft three stuff you can read about some of my stuff on my blog um but other than that it's mostly witchcraft three stuff so
2: shamanic witchcraft I thank god 's every day for the temple because if it weren 't for the temple, I probably would have next to no personal practice to speak of <laughs> um, i I have my uh, my own um, spirits that I work with, and my personal practice largely consists of of looking after my relationship with them uh, but beyond that uh, i 've got to say that that the the great, one of the great things about the temple is that it's a lot harder to skip out on um, doing your personal work when it's written down on somebody else's calendar and you've got to be there at a particular time uh, in order to uh, make sure that those things happen. So I found that the, the temple has helped uh, lend me some uh, a little additional discipline um, when it comes uh, to that sort of thing.
1: Ah, that red ray. Yes. Yes. Uh,
2: um, My own personal
1: practice has kind of morphed, and I'm always trying to challenge myself into new areas of magic without losing the roots to what I'm practicing before that. Um, So, like I said, with the blue ray, I've been doing a lot of fairy contact in a very sporadic sort of way, Um, but the fairy has been very, very present. Um, My matron is the morgan, specifically her aspect, I've been doing a lot of devotional work with her, and she's really the inspiration for a lot of how the temple and my teachings have come about, so I think maintaining a close relationship with her, although sometimes it waxes and wanes depending on what's going on, but she's been very, very present in my life over the last few months. Um, working with the plant-based work you know, has, has been pretty profound, like with the mandrakes. I've also done a, a ritual recently to yarrow, and yarrow is very helpful not only with fairy contact, but with kind of cleansing the aura and strengthening the energy body. Um, And the two practices I've really started to integrate uh, are more ceremonial. Uh, As part of my um, work in communing with the higher self and higher consciousness, I've been doing not the full bornless rite, um, and, and not even the full kind of temple of witchcraft version of it, but I've been doing the invocation of it, invoking the higher self, invoking the watcher often. I usually do it after my altar devotionals and kind of my basic alignment and cleansings for the day, um, I will do probably one of the most profound yet non-witchcraft practices I have is the Merkaba meditation, um, which I outline a little bit in Ascension Magic. and It's definitely a New Age practice of sacred geometry paying homage to ancient Egypt and Hebrew mysticism. But it's, it's definitely in this form a modern practice. But it, it kind of prepares my consciousness, and then I do the Bornless Invocation. So mm-hmm. I, I really strive to be trying to live and act from that that higher self and so the invocation's been a really important part i read something recently the difference between supportive practices and core practices Mm -hmm. and for me i think that's really become a core practice the merkaba and then the the bornless right and i feel like that helps support whatever other work i do Mm -hmm. Um, and then my fun magic if not all that wasn't fun um but my kind of exploratory you know no particular schedule is i'm doing Anokian magic specifically scrying the aethers. Um, I was really kind of gung ho about it until some personal tragedy came up and now I'm trying to get back into that. So, um, that's been my focus and something I know very, very little about, have very little experience about. I'm kind of following books and teachings, particularly the work of Lon Milo Duquette, um, and having great fun with it. It's been very inspirational. Cool. All right. So some
0: questions from our listeners, are, um, was your vision smaller or larger than what the, became this multifaceted organization? And did you get guidance and direction in this endeavor?
2: Well, I think that it's hard to say whether the the, the vision was smaller or larger. Both. I guess, yes, <laughs> in some regards. I think
1: smaller initially, but, you
2: know, yeah. large long-term, but I mm-hmm. think it's
1: become larger
2: yeah, yeah. yeah, I think that, that part of it is because of what we were talking about before, where a great deal of the vision of the temple came from uh, our ministers and our people who are involved in the temple who came to it, with each with their own vision, and how we, we took those visions and put them all in the big cauldron uh, in order to sort of brew up what became the temple. So, I mean, we started with the vision of this, this overarching structure that was going to provide the, 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 the actual cauldron to put all of these ingredients into, but we really didn't know what ingredients everybody was going to bring to the party until mm-hmm. they showed up and Mm. said, well, you know, I really feel that my work is this. Um, And, uh, you know, so then, you know, into the pot it went. And, you know, so it went with, you know, a lot of people who brought their own unique energy and vision to the table. And so I couldn't have really envisioned uh, exactly what we ended up with um, and what is progressing from there um so in that regard the the temple is is so much more richer and multifaceted uh than i would have imagined on my own because i wouldn't have i wouldn't have picked some of these things because they're not particularly my mission or my calling but i'm so very glad that we have people who are doing them mm. absolutely i think for the spiritual guidance part cuz
1: you know a lot of my vision was the impetus to get it um absolutely you know, it's it's all the things that I do in, in my, quote, professional career as a witch has been spiritually guided, because I think my general nature would not have chosen to do any of this. Um, I have a degree in music and wanted to be a musician. I didn't want to be an author. I didn't want to be a teacher. But, you know, higher guidance kind of conspired to bring me in that direction. Specifically, I'd mentioned before the Morgan, Maka. You know, Maka's directive was for me to teach more. And when I finally, you know, reluctantly agreed to it, I lost my job and found myself, you know, not able to hold down a job anywhere, but, you know, my meditation classes were off the hook and and people were seeing me for readings. And I was suddenly able to make a living doing this and had the time to write my first few books. Um, and her guidance has been pretty continual through the teachings that became the Temple of Witchcraft series. And then um, her guidance and the guidance of a, a conglomerate of spirits, really a, a convocation of spirits, um, have come to want to bring the temple together. Like I didn't mention... Uh, in your previous question about the four animals. Hmm. But you know, those specific totems originally started out as my personal totems for the four directions in my personal work. And when I started doing public circle, they were the ones most often called upon. And I kind of chose that because most neo-pagans can relate to animals where some kind of fear the angels or mm-hmm. the elementals don't always make sense. Mm-hmm. And so they were very present in a lot of my public work. And so when Maka was more, oh, you need to create a temple and The animal totems of the stag for earth and for the horse for fire and the crow for air and the snake for water came forward um, and they wanted to be a part of it. And then specific archangels kind of came through and said they wanted to be a part of it. Um, and then a fairy in the backyard, you know, a, a, what I describe as a fairy queen, is introduced to me through my, my personal fairy contact. And she's like, I will help you get this if you, you know, restore right relationships between my people and yours. And so she suddenly became a part of it. And suddenly we had all these kind of spiritual guides and patrons and, and we were doing work to kind of create a um, spirit vision of a, an inner temple for the temple. And having all these forces kind of come together, and then through that kind of congealed uh, an image of the spirit of the temple, whom we affectionately refer to in meditation as Tawathan, and he's kind of a conglomerate of the um, totem animals. You know, he's very serpentine, and strangely, although, you know, none of us really, although there's one person in the temple I know that practices a Mayan kind of based spirituality none of the founders really do but it has a very kind of feathered serpent imagery but like the black feathers of a crow and the horns of a stag and the only place where i really see the horse is kind of like the flaring of the nostrils like Mm -hmm. the serpent almost has a horse-like face
0: yeah
1: um but that's become kind of the spirit of the temple i feel it encircling our circles and Mm -hmm. connecting us and and doing that work so i think all of it yeah very protective and very intelligent in the sense of growing and developing i don't think it's an old spirit i think it's born of all of us coming together hmm. you know but it's definitely very guiding and what it wants and how it wants to grow and and uh, others it's funny to travel and to talk to people who have been either drawn to the temple teachings there was a, a gentleman out in Indiana who I had a long conversation with and he pretty much described Tawathan and was very interested in taking courses and, and getting involved as he could as a distant member but my jaw kind of dropped when he described him He's like it's going to sound kind of crazy and mm-hmm. there he gave a very atypical vision of a A feathered serpent and so talking about that was kind of a confirmation that he made a connection to the the egregore to the spirit of the temple and um wanted to be a part of it so it's neat to see those things because they really kind of confirm that it's not just all in my head that it's not Mm -hmm. just Mm -hmm. something that we've created it's something that really belongs to the world so um
0: speaking to another question that we have uh this person thinks it would be interesting to know what Chris Penzak's take is on how talismans work. And first of all, um, Christopher never goes by Chris. (laughs) So, um, always call him Christopher,
1: please. Yeah. The reason for that, for people who don't know, I mean, the only people who call me Chris have known me since I was like 12, um, I used to be in a band with another Chris, so we all got very tired of when they yelled Chris, both of us turning around. So I started to go by Christopher and really liked it, strangely, after hating Christopher for so many years. Um, so ever since really my college days and, and professionally as an author going by, by Christopher, um, mm-hmm. although there's been some funny mistakes, like I end up on the cover of a magazine as Chris, but, mm-hmm. you know, that was not my intention or, nor my goal. So uh, I do appreciate being called Christopher. So thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, but... For talismans, well, I think talismans in general, it's not really a temple question, but it does sort of relate to some some temple teachings. Um, talismans, I think, reverberate with a particular energy, with an intention. Um, you craft things into talismans that have a, in the scientific way, we think of it as a vibration. Mm-hmm. In the old world way, we'd say virtue, but it's mm-hmm. it's the same thing. Mm-hmm. So you kind of craft things that fit your intention together, and then... Um, really put an intention or program it if that's a word that's more comfortable for people to to reverberate with that intention and so depending on the intention it will either attract things that it's programmed to attract or repel things that it's meant to repel in the temple we tend to call them charms in general and talismans if they're attracting things Mm -hmm. and amulets if they're repelling things but that's just semantics to make my vocabulary easy Um, But I do think there's been an author that I have just fallen in love with her work, and I can't believe I didn't know it earlier, Uh, but her name is Nima, and she wrote Mott Magic, and uh, she's wrote quite a few other books out there that are really great for the the priesthood and understanding the role of, of the priestess and the priest. But one of the things she teaches is that the priest or priestess is a living talisman for humanity and for their community. So by our very nature, we have a vibration, we have a virtue, we have certain qualities. And as we work and develop and change those, they reverberate throughout our community. So we become these living talismans. So I think it's important to think of not just the talismans we carry as magical objects, but realizing that your whole life is an act of magic, your whole body, your whole person. Everything you own is potentially a talisman or an amulet or Mm -hmm. charm of some sort. And that everything you do reverberates out through the body of community and through the human race. And as you evolve, you carve these pathways to help other people evolve And as other people evolve and go beyond where you might be, you can find the grooves of that pathway. You can tune your talisman to that frequency and -hmm. start to kind of go with that work. So I think it's important to look at talismans beyond just the trinket, which is important to learn how to do and and to craft, but to realize that once you get how to craft them in the physical, that your whole life, your whole physical Mm -hmm. embodiment is an act of magic, is talismanic.
2: Mm -hmm. Well, that really relates a lot to the... the the temple practice of, of soul crafting really. And the the idea that it's really the work of the witch, um, whether they work within community or as a solitary to really be crafting the talisman of one's own spirit, Mm -hmm. one's own essence, um, towards that greater evolution towards the great work, um, so uh, it really is a nice connection absolutely
1: yeah i think that's a great word but i didn't even think of it in that way but that's exactly what it is Um, one of the deeper teachings we put out in the temple um, and something we're exploring with the ministers is really kind of crafting aligning the soul purifying the soul first purifying the energy of consciousness and then different roads of partnership with yourself and with others to really craft the soul and i think Different types of magics change your nature, change your virtue, and can be of benefit to you if that's where your soul is calling you to be, if that's Mm -hmm. where your intelligence is calling you to be. And by Mm -hmm. intelligence, I mean kind of a higher force, not just your mind. Um, And I I think that's important. I think a lot of times we think, oh, there's really nothing to do. And I think part of us, that bornless self, is perfect and has nothing to do, but it guides the rest of us that's here to craft. Witchcraft, the Western mysteries in general, are about crafting not in the outer world only but crafting the inner world and as within so without you know as we do our work as ministers we change ourselves as we change ourselves we
2: do our work as ministers Mm. Mm. and so on and so on exactly
0: that sounds beautiful um so i bring us to our last question which is uh what is your great work how would you define it
2: Uh, that resounding silence, by the way, is is Christopher and Adam staring at me. <laughs> um, so I guess that I get to go first. Um, and I guess right now I would say in many regards that um, part of my great work is is learning to define what my great work is. And I feel like I haven't really fully done that yet. Um, that the the temple and my community uh my many communities really that i 'm blessed enough to belong to are um helping me along that work um, and i guess beyond that, I feel like my uh my work um great or otherwise um in in the the temple is that um there's there 's a, a line from Um, the television show West Wing um, that says, you know, some people want to be the guy and some people want to be the guy the guy counts on. I want to be the guy the guy counts on. And um, that has been kind of the focus of a lot of my uh, work in the temple. Uh, I want, I really like the idea of building something that will help other people to be able to reach further and stand higher and go farther um, than they could necessarily without it. Uh, and I really think that's what the, what the temple ultimately is. So that's a pretty significant part of, of what I consider my great work.
1: Uh, I think my great work really revolves around education. I think everything that I do is both to educate myself, which I think is really first and foremost, and you, know, you can't take people into the deep unless you know how to get there and get out, um, but also educating the community. I think the writing that I do isn't just to write, but it's to educate. Um, my primary job, I see myself as teacher, you know, not just for my job and income, but I feel like my vocation, my ministry is educational. Even when I'm working with people one-on-one, I don't like to just do sessions for people. I like to educate them as a part of that session. And I think a big part of my my work in the temple is running the mystery school and the seminary and then the advanced support from the ministers. So I like doing some of the other work. But it usually revolves around education. Even, even my work in the prison ministry is about going into the prisons and teaching something as I lead a ritual. I don't necessarily want to be pen pals and correspond. and Not that there can't be education in that, but that's just not the most effective use of my time. So I think a lot of what I do is just thinking, you know, how does this take us deeper in our knowledge and our wisdom and our experience? And to me, that's the education of the witch.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Teach a wish, witch to fish. <laughs> 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 that's awesome so teacher. wish to cast a spell no. and, you know, They'll be set for the rest of their lives yes. so If you cast a spell for them you mm-hmm. know They don't necessarily get it And that's, that's been both a blessing and a difficulty I see people privately for tarot, less tarot readings And healing sessions And other cultures and communities Have the professional magical worker I'm coming to you with a problem Can you solve it for me by doing a spell mm-hmm. And I'll, I'll do spells with people But I won't necessarily do spells for people And when I do spells with them, I'm explaining to them each step of it so they could go on and do it on their own if they needed to repeat it or do it for somebody else. Mm -hmm. Because I think the education component of it is really important. I also think it's a life force thing, too. I think if you're doing a lot of your magic for other people's personal happiness, you're spending a lot of life force that, for me, ultimately goes towards that great work of, of personal evolution and enlightenment. Um, I really think, you know, the best that we can do for the world and being those talismans is to become more and more self-realized. And um, if I'm focusing on other stuff, not that you shouldn't be compassionate and help people, but I'd rather help people to help themselves.
0: Hmm. So now it's come to me, and Hmm. I have no clue. But um, I do have a couple guesses. Uh, My guess is that I'm supposed to become more aligned in who I am And I think my goal is more, or my purpose here, is more about being than it is about doing at points. Um, And becoming clear on where I fit and where, and um, not just becoming the, the puzzle piece that's needed, but becoming the puzzle piece that I am to be able to move things into space and make them click again. Hmm. Um, I know I use a lot of metaphor, but I can't help it. Uh, I was told I had a soul of a poet. but
2: um, He's probably going to want it back at some point. Yeah,
0: probably. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) But I think I'm trying to figure it out and um, looking for the omens and the signs to guide me along that way and i think that the universe supports us in our work gives us challenges gives us uh omens gives us a little bit of beginner's luck and challenges us towards the end to show us what we've learned and you know to to really just, just keep thinking like a witch so that brings us to the end of our podcast um, we'll do the deinvocation. invocation um, if you boys would like to say bye-bye, listeners.
1: Well, thank you, everybody. Bye-bye.
0: Thanks, everybody. We thank the Great Spirit and the two who move as one. We thank the three rays of love, will, and wisdom. We thank the God and Goddess who move through us and work with us. May we recognize their presence in our lives. Blessed be. Blessed, Blessed be. be. Merry meet, merry part, heart, and merry meet again. You've been listening to Voices of the Temple. The contents of this podcast are copyright 2010 of the Temple of Witchcraft. For more information, please visit templeofwitchcraft.org.